Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and if you just joined the show today, I always uh, pray that you've had a good day. I pray for you in the morning when I get up, and I, I pray that everyone who tunes into the show is going to feel uh, that they are growing in their understanding of God's Word and that we're engaging with Scripture and interesting topics. And today is no exception because Ken Samples is back. And every time Ken comes on, he always brings me something that I always have to think, oh, this is going to be interesting because his topic today is, are human beings exceptional? And I think all of us know a lot of exceptional people. And then I wonder, do we think of ourselves as exceptional? And are we exceptional? So we're going to talk all kinds of are human beings exceptional today with Ken Samples? You can learn more about Ken at reasons.org. He's a senior research fellow there, author of many books, and a regular guest here on the show. Ken, welcome back. Hi, Bill. It's good to be with you. Yeah, very interesting topic. The first time I looked at this, I thought, oh, is this is Ken playing a joke on me? <laughs> well, uh, I'm, that's always a possibility. I but, get that. Uh, you're, you're, too, you're too swift. I have to... I have to present things clearly. You know, Bill, what's really interesting is there is big debate today in science and in philosophy as to whether human beings are exceptional. And of course, what we're doing there is we're comparing us with the animal kingdom. So scientists are interested in this question, philosophers, theologians, uh, we get lots of discussion. Are human beings different only in in uh, degree, or are we different in kind, which would imply the word exceptional creatures? And of course, I think the Bible addresses it as well. Yeah. So really, the question we're going to kick around today is, do human beings differ from the animals merely in degree or in kind? Does that sound yeah. about right? That's right on target. Okay. Yes. So maybe we can just spend another minute or two talking about the difference between degree or in kind. Yeah, very important. This is uh, this is a philosophical distinction, but it's also a scientific distinction. Uh, I think both disciplines would largely agree with with these definitions that that uh, a different a, a difference in kind between human beings and animals would would merely be that human beings have, more of it than the animals have. So the animals may have certain qualities or characteristics, but we tend to have more of it. Uh, In terms of kind, there would be a distinct category difference. Um, We would have qualities and characteristics that are just so far advanced uh, that they seem in a different category or that can't be found in the animal kingdom whatsoever. Now, now again, that's those issues are debated, um, but I think the Bible it, in the book of Genesis, I think it's very interesting because it lays out this idea 
of animals being created and human beings created. So degree and in kind, degree, we got more of it. Mm -hmm. The animals have it, we got more of it. Kind, no, different category, something we have seemingly uniquely. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Ken Samples okay. is my guest. We're going to talk today, are human beings exceptional? And Ken, you're going to lay out seven ways humans differ from the animals in kind. So that's kind of something I'm looking forward to us uh, discussing. Can I bring us to point number one? Yes, you can. And and right before I mention number one, I want to talk about one other element, and that is this. In the time in which we live, um, when Christians talk about the uniqueness of human beings, made in the image of God, um, having these unique qualities that we alone possess, some people can get the impression that we don't value the animals or, you know, they're second class. Uh, they uh, we're engaged in speciesism. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important, particularly if you're talking with people who have a love for animals, to indicate that animals are made by God. They have value. Um, and I think we have responsibilities to animals. Since we are capable of things that they're not, I think we have a responsibility to care for them. And I, I think you see that in science. I mean, I'm always amazed with these National Geographic shows where scientists are traveling across the ocean to, you know, to get a, a shark and put a tip on the, you know, on its tail so they can track it and make sure it doesn't go extinct. I think human beings are are really at that point taking the Bible seriously. We're taking dominion over nature. But I think it's awfully important in our time because I'm an animal lover and my wife is an animal lover, my kids. Um, so it's very important to point out that God created the animals. And in many ways, they are very similar to us and they have a, they have a value and a purpose. And humans, uh, I agree with C.S. Lewis, humans have a certain... Uh, responsibility to care for the animals because of our place in creation. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that extra little backdrop on our discussion. Are human beings exceptional? So, Ken, if if you're ready now, let's let's jump yeah. into uh, number one. Yeah, I would say number one that human beings have an inherent and inherent spiritual or religious nature. Bill, so much so that uh, some philosophers have called human beings homo religiosus, the Latin meaning that we are by nature religious creatures. We engage in worship. We engage in religious ritual. And even for people who are skeptical or secularistic, atheist, agnostics, um, you know, somebody like a Paul Tillich, he said that human beings, everyone has an ultimate concern. And another philosopher here, Harold Titus, he says that uh, even agnostics and atheists, quote, tend to replace a personal God with an impersonal one, the state, race, or some process uh, in nature, or devotion to for the search of truth. So that first point is that human beings they really have this 
big questions of life. Why are we here? What's the purpose of, of it all? And animals have lots of good qualities. I mean, given that animals are made from the dust of the ground, just as we are, mm -hmm. I would think we would have certain similarities. So in some ways, we're going to be like them in degree, uh, you know, anatomical, physiological, biochemical, even genetics. And of course, humans genetically are very close to chimpanzee. But here, here's my point. Rather than thinking that reflects common descent, as Darwin did, it could be that it reflects common design. So we both eat, we're both created from the dust of the ground. Animals and humans, uh, at least the primates, eat things that are quite similar to what we eat. But what we should discover, I think, biblically is while there's going to be some areas of degree, there's going to be seven, in my mind, that are going to be different in kind and therefore exceptional. And one of them is this religiosity, this sense of I need a purpose. Even the atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche says that any, if you have a why, then you can put up with, with any how. That is, if you have a reason for being, you know, an ultimate issue. And we don't see that in the animal kingdom. Again, they, my, my two dogs, or my wife would say her two dogs, they have a better sense of smell than I do. They have a, uh, their hearing is a lot better than mine. I'll bet their eyesight is better than mine. They have all of these kinds of things but they don't seem to ask religious or metaphysical types of questions. And that, that seems to be something that is that sharp distinction, that category difference. Uh, and, and again, there are lots of things they do better. I, my dogs can certainly outrun me, <laughs> but I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, they don't wake up on Sunday morning and say, you know, uh, we got to get over there to the church, uh, Though it may not be a bad thing to allow a churches to be friendly to animals because there are so many people who absolutely love their pets. Yeah. You know, it's funny because dogs have like a hundred times better smell than humans, and yet they want to smell the most disgusting things. I don't get it. I, I know it. What one of my colleagues at Reasons to Believe, he's a biochemist, he says that because the dog's nose is so close to the brain, that when they smell stew, they can smell each of the particular ingredients in it. Wow. That... And and then we could go to bears and it's even bigger, you know. So animals are amazing. I, I'd love to hug a tiger or a bear. They're so beautiful, but yeah. they're also deadly. Yeah, but maybe, uh, Ken, in heaven, we'll be able to do that. I sure hope so. Yeah. That, that, would, that would be a great time to get to you know, pet a tiger and play, play ball with a bear. <laughs> I agree. Let me take a break. Ken Samples is my guest. He's from reasons.org. You can learn more about him there and his many books that he's written. We're talking today about are human beings exceptional? How do human beings differ from the animals merely in degree or in kind? And right now we're going to talk about seven ways humans differ from the animals in kind. Very interesting topic. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. 
Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and a theologian. That's an interesting combo. And we're talking today about are human beings exceptional? Seven ways humans differ from the animals in kind. And the first one we chatted about is human beings have an inherent spiritual and religious nature. They need a why in their life. And if you don't have a why, you struggle. And if you don't know what your purpose is, you're going to be in trouble. Fair? That's right. That's that's absolutely correct. I mean, even even the field of mental health will tell you that you've got to have some reason for being. You want uh, a purpose behind it all. Thing that really disturbs people uh, emotionally and mentally is when there isn't kind of a rhyme and rhythm and purpose to life. So it's it's very valuable. I mean, uh, people have gone through very difficult times because they had a reason for living. You know, I think of I think of people who've made it through the Holocaust, people who have experienced terrible events, but they had a reason to keep going. And uh, that big picture reason is very religious or metaphysical. Oh. Animals don't appear to have anything quite like that. Yeah, but the power of hope or the power of why is so strong and you hear stories of people like you talk about at the holocaust or you know the the victor frankel um man's search for meaning and the ones that had that had hope and that had the thought that they're going to find a way to see their family again so strong yes that's frankel came out of it he survived dachau and auschwitz and said uh, what people really need in life is a philosophy of life or a worldview that will give them hope. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's where the gospel is right at the top of its game. Yeah. Now, Ken, if you just give present day application to this, I certainly see a lot of people today struggling with a complete lack of hope in life. You see it all over. I do too. There is a, there is a, epidemic of loneliness. There is a a sense in which people lack a purpose. And, you know, that's where humanity is so different. Again, there doesn't appear to be any other species of being that has this need for something that transcends the world, a a reason to be here. Mm -hmm. All right, Ken, seven ways humans differ from the animals in kind. Let's uh, maybe move on to number two. Yes. Number two, human beings possess unique intellectual, cultural, and communicative abilities. What I mean by that is it seems human beings are very different, and here different in kind, not merely degree, in terms of uh, our ability to do logic, reason, uh, speech, communication, Um, Mortimer Adler, one of the great philosophers of the 20th century, said that animals don't have conversation. They send signals to each other. I I remember reading that and watching my dogs that they uh, they don't have a conversation. They they send a message (laughs) and that message may come by growling or something other than something non-pleasant that dogs tend to do. But this is the idea that human beings think conceptually, and language is a very important part of this. Even secular evolutionary biologists who believe humans are exceptional, and there's a growing number, 
they would say this idea of the symbolic use of language, our, our capacity to blend letters, to make words, to read, uh, to write, um, you know, to have to converse with one another. This is one of the remarkable things that the human brain mind is able to do. And yet Adler, again, one of the great educators wrote the book, How to Read a Book. Adler says that uh, uh, a child of seven years old can has basically the capacity down to be able to read and to write and to listen and to learn. And so this capacity for language is is so very different. Now, animals, some animals can be taught uh, certain words and uh, even, even a certain level of counting, but they, they have to be taught by human beings and they don't teach each other those kinds of things. So uh, again, some intelligent species, chimpanzees, uh, dolphins, whales, some of the very high cerebral working animals have these unique capacities, but uh, they don't seem to have the symbolic sense of, of speech. And by the way, uh, within a biblical context, we recognize immediately how important uh, Jesus is the logos. That is, uh, he's the word, he's the speech, he is the communication, he's the intelligent word that God gives human beings. Because we're made in the image, we can read, we can understand. Um, we have the capacity uh, to, to comprehend. And this is so critical. Um, that's why Judaism, Christianity, and even to some degree Islam, they're religions of the book. Human beings uh, have this capacity to read, write, listen. Uh, and that is something that's very different than what we discover in the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. It is uh, interesting how some animals have what appears to be a much higher capacity for words, responding to words. Um, I don't know much that's, about dolphins and whales, but I, I do know that they're, they can be pretty that's, smart. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, um, I remember we had a cat. Uh, she was so smart. We had to spell words. We couldn't say them because she <laughs> recognized them. Uh -huh. We'd have to spell them like, you know, put her in the backyard. Uh oh, she's out of here. She's not going to put up with that. Yeah. Uh, and there have been dogs that have, you know, you can you can identify maybe a toy with a particular name. And some dogs are absolutely brilliant. They're able to go into the pile and pull that back. But there isn't that sense of the symbolic use of language. Mm -hmm. That's that's something that's right at the forefront of many scientists. Where where do we get this capacity to to use symbols and to and and to communicate through through the use of language? That's why it's so absolutely critical and so heartbreaking when children are not given the capacity to learn to read to write to speak, to listen, so important in the advancement of one's life, but it's also part of fulfilling our purpose as, as human beings. Mm, boy, it's just critical, Ken, and the younger the better, to get stories read to kids and to get them to uh, read books and understand how to read and write. There, there is so much data on 
you know, children in a family, often the first child of the family, uh, there is a tendency for them to get more attention, to have more books read to them, to speak to them, to talk to them. Um, and, you know, sometimes that kind of levels down after you've had a few kids. But again, yeah, human beings are word oriented. We can we can read, we can write, we can speak, we can listen. And th those are so fundamental that if if you don't learn to do them well, they have, again, not only an impact on your economic status in life, but it also affects, you know, who we are as people. Mm, yeah. When you come from a big family, usually the oldest kid, their photo album looks like the Manhattan phone book. And then by the <laughs> sixth or seventh kid, it's down to a pamphlet, you know? <laughs> I, I remember with our first daughter, Sarah, when I was driving out of the hospital parking lot, I, I probably went maximum 10 or 15 <laughs> miles an hour. By the time my son was born, number three, it was like, just throw in the car. Let's get going. You know? <laughs> yeah. So the, sometimes the order makes a difference. Yeah, it does indeed. Ken Samples is my guest. We're talking about our human beings exceptional. And sounds like so far we really are. Um, Ken, let's jump. Let's start into the third one. Uh, we're not going to have a lot of time before the break, but let's get started. Yeah. Number three, I think, is an awfully important philosophical point. And, and my third point is that human beings are conscious of time, reality, and truth. Time, reality, and truth. And the point I'm getting at there is that we we have the capacity to recognize the very moment. I mean, um, Bill, I'm talking to you right now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but in 45 minutes, I will not be talking to you. And I wasn't talking to you uh, a half hour ago. I can recognize the very present moment. I can reflect on the past and I can anticipate the future. Animals don't, they, they, they seem to be grounded just in their kind of environmental. It doesn't mean they can't remember being hurt or they can't remember getting a treat or something of that nature but they don't seem to conceptualize where they come to the realization that there is the past, there is the present, there, in, there is the future. And they don't seem to have kind of an existential sense. I, I remember when I was uh, 20 years ago, I was 45, doctors thought I had a life-threatening illness. And I remember thinking to myself, what's gonna happen to my kids? What's gonna happen to my wife? Animals feel pain and and it's real. And I think human beings need to be aware and care about animal pain and not inflict uh, unnecessary pain upon them. But it doesn't seem that animals think about their death as in what's going to happen to my puppies. Ah, so true. All right. You get the future. So yeah, let, let's pick this up after the break because there's lots more to talk about this one. Ken Samples is my guest and our human beings exceptional to human beings differ from the animals in kind. We're covering seven points today with Ken. We'll take a break. If you have a question or comment, I always welcome that. 877-933-2484. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time 
drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, yeah. what's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you uh, tuned in today. Thank you for doing that. That means a lot to me, and I hope you uh, had a wonderful day. Hope you had a great weekend. We haven't really talked much about your weekend, but we certainly can. But I'll move on to other business because um, I've got Ken Samples on the line, and we're talking today about are, are human beings exceptional? That's the topic, and we're talking seven different seven ways humans differ from animals in kind, and it's a fascinating discussion. Number one was human beings have an inherent spiritual and religious nature. And second was human beings possess unique intellectual, cultural, and communicative abilities. And we were just talking right before the break about human beings are conscious of time, reality, and truth. And I know, Ken, you probably have a little bit more to say about that before we move on. Yeah, Bill, in... In philosophy and in science, we measure truth in a way we call realism or, or a, co a correspondence theory. That is, if my belief about something matches, corresponds to reality, then I know the truth. If two plus two equals four and I know that and it corresponds to reality, it, it doesn't seem that the animal kingdom has the capacity for conceptualizing things like truth and reality. Now, they're very good at concrete things. Again, they can, you know, a, a bird can read the seasons. Uh, they, they have certain concrete capacities, but the capacity to engage in abstract conceptual realities, like what is truth? Well, truth is what corresponds to reality and uh, time, uh, is a, a critical feature in in that kind of way. And so th this is not to disrespect or to put down the animals. The animals, again, if you think about speed, if you think about strength, if you think about many qualities, I mean, some of these animals, I, the other day on the internet, I, I saw a, a uh, eagle come down and just just barely put it, its its claws into the the river and pull out a fish, and I was just stunned by the the skill and the accuracy of their capacities. But there doesn't appear to be these kind of abstract philosophical elements at work. Mm -hmm. That is so, that is so true. All right, let's um, let's move on to number four. Number four is a very important point. Um, human beings possess a, a conscience. They identify, they identify a value system and legislate moral laws for society. You know, this is a very, very important point that uh, I remember when I first read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, years ago. And uh, Lewis says, we, we all have this kind of, you know, we know a line is crooked because we have an idea of a straight line and we have this moral awareness that there are certain things that are right certain things that are wrong we also have this awareness that we're not fulfilling it very well well lewis says where did that come from well this idea that we have a conscience this idea that we have uh we're we're aware of moral facts and we have an, a sense of oughtness uh, in our life. 
that we legislate morality and, and engage on this level in terms of society, it's very different from the animal kingdom. The, the animals don't seem to have this, you know, this kind of moral oughtness or this uh, sense of conscience. Now, doesn't mean that animals may not engage in, you know, kind of shaming if they, you know, you look at the chimpanzees and certain behavior, they kind of shame one another. But but a shame system is not the same sense of a moral system. So morality seems to play a critical part. And again, if you're thinking back to people are made in the image of God, one way we're made in the image of God is our moral accountability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, animals, uh, again, they may have certain qualities that are very similar to us, but when we start talking about morality, that seems like a very much a human trait. And we also recognize how how frightful human beings can be. Uh, I don't think you need the demonic to create the Holocaust. Human beings are capable of that. Animals can be vicious. Animals can be frightening, uh, but not to the level or to the, the quality of vileness that human beings can possess. And animals can't uh you know they might animals are able to take uh they can sniff out a cancer or they can they can take a combat soldier through you know so he doesn't step on landmines and they can do all kinds of remarkable things but the dog can't then sit back and say well is it morally right for me to risk my life for my owner no those those moral contemplation those are distinctly human qualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the 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 pet, the dog, especially if it's got a protective nature, will will plow into any situation, whatever, at no thought to themselves. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've had dogs and cats. I love the loyalness of dogs. I mean, they just will look at you with this adoration and follow you. But there's a there's an there is a fiercely independent element of cats that I totally love. They just, you know, <laughs> the heck with you, you know, and yeah. um, I, I kind of wish I had both qualities. Uh, <laughs> and, and again, I underscore the point that when we talk this way about human exceptionalism or humans being different, both in degree and kind, it's not a, a lack of appreciation. The animals were made for a different purpose, and they bring us a great deal of, of well, we, we talked about uh, the pain and ex- people who experience loneliness, how much the animals, you know, comfort dogs, uh, the things that animals can do in our life, they are very, very valuable. And we are deeply foolish not to take very good care of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Ken, when I think of when a human being is alone with their thoughts, that's a pretty profound moment. Most of the time, we don't like being too alone with our thoughts. I think that's why they pump music into elevators. Um, <laughs> that's great. But Pascal, know, Pascal said that the the fundamental flaw in human beings is they can't sit alone at their desk. You know, and college students they did a study; they'd rather be shocked than to sit in a room alone with <laughs> I, no phone or anything. I saw that experiment, and yeah. I found that fascinating. They, they, were, they were bored, so they thought, well, I'll just touch this, even though I was told not to touch it. 
And they were told they were going to get a shock, and they touched it anyway just to see what the shock felt like, just to try to break up the boredom. Yeah. Yeah, human beings are different. We're we're a different species. We're a we're a different kind of animal than the animals. Mm-hmm. And that's the way God intended it. Yeah. You right think on. you think kind of how violent nature is though. And I think there was some researcher that said I, I want to get out of the city. I want to go commune in nature. And then the re- the report was I can't believe how violent nature is. Oh yeah, the, and you know, the corresponding element, and I'll touch upon this in one of our later points, but, you know, it's interesting how beautiful nature is, but sometimes the most beautiful is the most dangerous. I mean, you you go up to Yosemite and various places and you look down, these are incredibly beautiful places, but very treacherous. And then you look at a tiger, I just can't imagine many things being more beautiful than a tiger. You can hear their you know, their growl uh, two miles away. Um, They're so beautiful, but then so dangerous. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the way God has created humans and animals and made so much incredible uniqueness with animals. I mean, we can spend the rest of this time just chatting about how amazing um, a cheetah is that can get to 65 miles an hour in four seconds or three seconds. Um, yeah, they have. And, and, and again, you know, unlike the, the worms and things of that nature, you know, the higher level animals, they have some kind of consciousness. They have some kind of soulishness. Mm-hmm. We don't believe, you know, when God created human beings, he created them from the dust of the ground. But in Genesis 2, 7, it says that human beings were created from the dust of the ground with the breath of life. So there is that kind of distinguished soulishness, or again, the Latin would be the imago Dei, to be made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. All right, Ken Samples, let's move on to the number five. Human beings are uniquely inventive and technological. I mean, animals are pretty clever. I they mean, are. Birds make nests, beavers make dams. You know, you look at a spider, um, you know, they're web designers. I mean, they, uh, <laughs> they there is incredible capacity in the natural world. And it doesn't matter sometimes how big or small you are. But think about human beings. When human beings create, um, you know, they make blueprints and then they make machines and then the machines make the various things. You know, th- think of the technology over the last 150 years, you know, in World War I, th- this incredible war, tanks and uh, helicopters and airplanes. Then not too long, you have jets, you know, now you have robots, you have artificial intelligence. Um, human beings are able to create in a way that, again, seems different in kind we we have the capacity to to do things and to use mathematics and to use all of these concepts animals seem to create much more for practical purposes they don't and they don't seem to anticipate like you know a human being well let's see i i'm going to go uh hunting or i'm going to go on a vacation trip I need to have certain tools in my car in case I break down. Animals don't seem to have that kind of anticipation. They they kind of create for immediate and practical terms. 
humans, on the other hand, I mean, we, we create things that, you know, uh, the, the, the cell phone, I mean, we, we have all of this capacity uh, to kind of be lost in the, you know, the abstract world. So it, again, animals are remarkable. They, there's no doubt about it, but this idea of inventive and technological, wow, humans are breathtaking. I mean, the idea of even some of the artificial intelligence, I don't think any of these machines will ever really be able to duplicate. I think they mimic uh, human ideas and human thought, but they're still very impressive what people can do. And the capacity, even if, you know, your laptop computer has is remarkable. Mm -hmm. when, when you think of uh, honeybees making honeycomb and you think, are you kidding me? Look at the design and the perfection and how they do that. Does that not just astound you? It is. It, it, it very much is. And, and I come back to that point again. I, I think you have to reinforce it with people that, look, the Judeo-Christian idea that human beings are, are made in the image of God and therefore have an inherent dignity and value and worth that's different from the animal, that doesn't mean that the God who created us didn't create the animals because they have these natural capacities that are just remarkable. And part of our uh, existence and survivability and enjoyment and fulfillment is appreciating these animals and and being a caretaker of, of creation. Mm -hmm. And it can, as I get older, I get more respectful of, I mean, there were times when you'd see a, a spider web and you just want to knock it down. Now I want to sit and examine it and appreciate it and go, this is an amazing work that they've done. I don't want to ruin this. You know, I'm so glad you raised that. When I was, uh, a, you know, a boy, um, you know, I, I got a, I got a BB gun and I would, you know, shoot those beautiful little sparrows out of the tree. I couldn't even do that anymore. No, I couldn't either. And, you know, to step on an insect, I mean, when I go hiking up in the hills and I certainly don't ever step on them, you know, intentionally, but, you know, there, I've just come to a greater realization of the design, the purpose, the beauty, the value of this world in which we live. Yeah, I do that as well in my home. If I see a, a bug, I got a couple of bugs that show up in spring and I think, I'm sorry. I'm sorry what I'm about to do to you. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know. I hate it. it. I mean, flies, they kind of bother me, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, I say, as long as you stay on the outside, you're I'm good <laughs> with you. But, yeah, and I, I have come to that realization. I, you know, I look at the ants or I look at the insects and I think, you know, you pick up a rock and they all go running and it's like, wow. I mean, on such a small level, you have these qualities and characteristics. And and again, I think being made in the image of God partly is the idea that we are able to take care of nature. We are able to be a, a steward and a caretaker. And so we're the crown of creation, but that that should be a good thing, not only for us, but it should be good for the world in which we live. So true. We're going to take a short break and then come back to Ken Samples, who's my guest today. We're talking about are human beings exceptional? 
We certainly are. We'll take a break and be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Ken Samples is my guest today. He's a philosopher and a theologian, so you're probably hearing a little of both of those hats that he wears. Today we're talking about our human beings exceptional and the seven ways humans differ from the animals in kind. And if you've missed any of this hour, it's been quite interesting. You can always go to the podcast and check it out from the beginning at myfaithradio.com. So, Ken, done a nice job of covering five out of the seven. And the last one that we just chatted about was human beings are uniquely inventive and technological. And I agree, and I also thought your point was well made that animals can be incredibly clever. You see videos on the Internet of the way animals will outsmart certain devices and contraptions and they're incredibly creative when it comes to getting what they want, but nothing quite like the way humans are in terms of uh, being inventive and technological. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, again, I think part of the fascination of human beings with social media about, you know, cats, dogs, and all kinds of other animals is they just amaze us. They We, we look around and we think, wow. What, and, and I often think as a theologian, how much joy does the Lord get from, you know, I mean, I watch things that I'm responsible for. I, I love to see my kids grow and develop and accomplish things. Imagine how the Lord feels when he's created all of this wonder and how much he enjoys it. Um, that, that to me is a very powerful point. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to number six. And this one is interesting, but I also think Animals are close to us in this regard, but I could be wrong. Number six, human beings possess an intense curiosity to explore and understand the entire created realm. Now, I do think animals are are curious creatures, but a lot of times they're limited by their body size, by their by kind of practical kind of purposes. Human beings, on the other hand, they do science. They develop the natural sciences. They, you know, uh, mathematicians talk about string theory. Human beings want to know, well, what happened before the universe began? Uh, how did how did gravity come to be? Humans want to know, is there life in outer space? What's beyond all of these kinds of things? I think animals have a natural curiosity, and I think they explore their environment but often it is determined upon their body size and, you know, the kind of practical purposes. This deep curiosity, and, and again, I think one of the great contributions to the world has been science. And I think that the Judeo-Christian religions had a great deal to do with basically saying this world's made by a good God. He's made by a God that uses logic and he uses laws, and therefore humans are able to understand why do people behave? Why do the animals do that? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think animals have that capacity, but then humans just seem to, it goes into another level. If you, if mm. you, if, yeah. And Ken, uh, remind us all how important it is to have a strong curiosity. 
Well, you know, I, I think that I think part of uh, part of fulfillment in life, part of part of having a, a deep sense of satisfaction is this idea of wanting to grow, to to learn, to develop. You know, you know, people often say that uh, individuals who have lengthy lives, they don't they never kind of lose their zest for life. They they get up in the morning and they, they're curious. They want to they want to grow. They want to develop. I, th I think sometimes when we get into trouble in life where that curiosity is kind of lost uh, and people kind of fall back on negative behaviors. And so this sense of uh, God's got a purpose, Bill, and today God has something for us and he'll have something tomorrow. And that that's as a, as a philosophical, psychological analysis. Uh, I think those things are, are very important. I agree. All right, Ken. Uh, nice job. Let's get to the last one, number seven. Yeah, here is where I say that human beings possess an aesthetic taste and appreciation for more than just practical purposes. And the point I want to make there is that, you know, uh, I don't know that I don't know that beauty helps us survive. I mean, evolutionary theory, when we talk about common descent, we, we talk about this idea that, you know, humans have evolved from, from lower creatures. I don't know that beauty helps us to necessarily survive, but, but humans have this deep capacity. I mean, we look at a sunset, we, we look at nature, we're able to create beauty, we're able to, to say, this has such value. And Bill, many people who are secular, whom I speak with, they wouldn't go to church with me. But if I invited them to an art museum, they're all over it. Well, where did we get this sense of, of be able to appreciate beauty, to value beauty, to weigh it. And why is there so much beauty in the world if beauty doesn't necessarily contribute to our survivability? Even some secular philosophers have said, the more beauty there is in the world and the greater capacity for humans to appreciate it, that weighs in favor of theism over atheism. So beauty is... You know, again, that's something that plays such a significant role in our lives. I mean, think about music, think mm -hmm. about painting, think about various varieties. I mean, mathematicians would tell you there's math has such an elegance to it. There, there's such a, a uniqueness. There's a, a, a unity to it all. Humans, humans uh, I mean, as wonderful as animals are human beings seem to be made in a way that transcends the, the, the world in which we live. And, and beauty is one of those places. I, you know, at, at the Vatican, they have all of these museums devoted to some of the great beauty of Western civilization. And uh, on one of the museums, it says evangelism through beauty. Bill, I wonder in a time in which people question whether you know, they're kind of relativistic about truth and goodness. It's all in the eye of the beholder. I wonder if we could use beauty as an argument for God and then kind of backtrack to truth and goodness. I like that. Because people, people love beauty. Oh, you know, can we never tire, <clears throat> tire of beauty? People can never. tire of f food and sex and all kinds of things, but they never tire of beauty. 
That's right. You don't want beauty Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but not Thursday and Friday. You right. want as much of it as you can get. Right. Yeah. I mean, you go on you go on vacation and you sit and stare at the at the ocean or the mountains for ten hours a day, and you go, I I can't get enough. Yep. Yeah. That's that's exactly right. So these are seven points. I write about them in my book, Seven Truths That Changed the World. I write about them in another book I've written, A World of Difference, because I, I think it gives us a biblical context, Bill, for valuing uh, humans as distinct, but but also saying, look, the world the Lord has made is, is a remarkable world. And um, we share many qualities with the animals, and yet there is this Im- image of God that transcends it. Mm-hmm. Ken, as always, thank you for making us think. Thank you for the angle you come at with your philosophical and theological um, inclinations. And I always find what you what you teach and what you talk about to be very interesting. Well, it's a pleasure and it's an honor for you to invite me uh, on your program. So thank you. Well, thanks for saying yes all the time. All right, Ken, have a great rest of the evening and I will talk to you in a month. Bye-bye. All right. That's our show for the day. If you missed any, head to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.